Previously on Rifainu, Prayer, Sephira, and Healing from Trauma. Rabbi Foreman and I started this series with an attempt to understand the Shmonesrei blessing of Rifainu. We suggested that Rifainu would have strong spiritual implications for us in this new world of COVID-19. And also, strangely, that it could help us understand Sphira HaOmer. But before we get to COVID and Sphira, we need to explore that blessing of Rifainu and understand its depths. Upon reading Rifainu, we suggested that it points us to two mini-stories at the very end of redemption in Egypt. The story of the splitting of the sea, and oddly, the story that comes right after it, the bitter waters of Mara. And so, we're ready to dive into those two episodes and see if we can understand just why Chazal thought that these are not only connected, but also that they give us the perfect template for praying for health. Let's jump in. Hey folks, welcome back. This is uh, Rabbi David Foreman with uh, my compadre in arms, Umar Shalev. Umar, you there? I am, and excited. Okay, fantastic. And Imu, uh, when we last met up, uh, we were talking about the prayer of Rifainu and Shemot Esrei, and we suggested that it uh, was anchored in this biblical text of Mara, uh, what the rabbis seemed to see as a kind of coda, a kind of culmination of uh, the victory at the sea somehow, uh, the strange story of the bitter waters. And uh, when we last got together, you and I suggested that we would kind of take a deep dive into the story of Mara, sort of read it through, and just ask ourselves whatever whatever questions came to mind, sort of erase our, our minds of anything we knew about the story, and try to notice the oddities in the story. So if you're ready for that, uh, I'm game. What say you? Um, I need a few minutes. No, no, I'm, I'm ready. <laughs> Let's jump okay. in. Okay, sounds good. So here we are. Let's take us through. Why don't you read and uh, as you read through this, feel free to stop at anything that strikes you as, as odd and interject and stand up in your chair and wave your hands and scream. Fantastic. I'm good at that. Where do you want me to start from? Uh, why don't you start from uh, Exodus chapter 15, verse 20. Okay. So the very last verse, verse 19, is the final verse of Az Yashir. And verse 20 begins, Vatikach Miriam haniviyah achot Aharon et hatof biyada. Miriam the prophetess. The sister of Aaron takes the drum or the, the timbrel, tambourine, in her hand. All the women go out following her. Right, with their own timbrels and, and dancing. Uh, and Miriam sort of answers to them or calls out to them. She seems to pick a line out of Az Yashir. She says, sing to God because he is... Mighty exalted horse and chariot have been thrown into the sea. Mm-hmm. Okay, so just a couple of, I, got, I have some questions that come up here, right? We have Miriam, who is apparently a prophetess. I don't remember hearing that beforehand, that she's a prophetess, but she's a prophetess mm-hmm. here. I'm curious to hear what her prophecies might might have been. Uh, mm-hmm. It's interesting that she's identified here as Achot Aharon. She's the, the sister of Aaron. If I were identifying her here and telling you how great she she is, I would say she's the sister of Moshe, who's been the star of the show up until now. Mm-hmm. Um, she takes some drums, some timbrel, um, and the women follow her. But my question is, why? Why is this a part of the story here? Why is right, we had Moshe do a a, a song, um, and all of a sudden Miriam has her own song, and all the women follow her? What, what's going on with that? Why do the women do something different? Right, and and you know, and, and we've talked about the 
some of those questions before. And one and and one of the things I think you and I pointed out is that when you have other songs of Thanksgiving in the Bible, this isn't the only one. We don't find men and women splitting up. We even find a song of Thanksgiving led by a woman, where women and men seem to sing together. The song of of Deborah in the book of Judges after her victory over the forces of Sisera. This seems mm-hmm. to be unique, right? This notion that the women have to do their own song. And it's not a different song. It's just a piece of the men's song. And so mm-hmm. why is it even necessary? Right. There's Vata'an Lehem Miriam, which is a strange word, or maybe maybe I'm not familiar. But usually Vata'an is you answer. Mm-hmm. There, no one asked a question, so she's sort of answering to them. Maybe the people have some implicit question. Yeah, that's kind of interesting, isn't it? Right, Vata'an... Over here, the English uh, from JPS 1917 translates it as she chanted for them. But you're right, literally it means answer, which leads to the great $64,000 issue, which is what was the question? Right. Was was there some kind of question here? Yep. Right. Okay, go ahead. Okay. And then, seemingly we have our fade to black moment, and the scene ends, and we begin a new scene in verse 22. Vayasa Moshe et Israel miamsuf. Uh, Moshe, um, he leads the people uh, and journeys them from the Red Sea by Yetzu El Midbar Shur. And they go out towards the wilderness of Shur. By Yechush Loshet Yamim Bamidbar, they go three days in the desert below Matsu Mayim, and they do not find any water. By Avo Marasa, they come to uh, a place called Mara, Velo Yachulishtot Mayim Bimara, Kimarimheim. Uh, they weren't able to drink water from Mara because apparently uh, the waters were bitter. Alkain Karashma Mara, um, and therefore this place was called Mara, bitterness. By Yilonu Ha'am Al Moshe Lemor Manishte, the people uh, complain on Moshe, saying, Hey, what are we going to drink? By Yitzak El Hashem, seemingly Moshe is the one who calls out to God. By Yoreu Hashem Eitz, and God shows him. A stick or a tree, Eitz is a, is a tree, by Yashlech El Hamayim, and he casts it off into the into the water, by Yimtuku Hamayim, and the water becomes sweet. Sham Samlo Choku Mishpat, their law, right? Chok and Mishpat are, are interesting, two different words for, for law, right? Decree and law, Visham Nisahu. Um, and there he tested them, perhaps. Vayomer Im Shamoa Tishma Lekol Hashem Elokecha, um, and he said, if you hear, if you really listen to the voice of, of God, and you do what is just or, or straight in his eyes, and you really hear, right, uh, his, right, this is another word for listening, this one from the word ozen, to hear. If you hear his uh, commandments, and you keep his ordinances, all of the disease, the sickness, asher samti b'mitzrayim, or that God apparently put in, uh, on Egypt, lo asimalecha, I will not place upon you, ki ani Hashem rofecha, is I, God, am your healer. I have lots of questions. Okay. All right, as do I. So, you know, pretty short story, seven verses-ish, but jam-packed with a lot of questions. Um, and I, I, I'm actually just going to steal the floor for one second and throw one at you, Please. and then... I'll open the floor to you. But, you know, one question is, okay, Emo, how long can you go without water, right? About three days, right? And that's what these people did. So you got to think, right. you're pretty thirsty, 
by the time right. you get there. I mean, presumably the people used up the water from their canteens on the three-day journey to Yansu from the first place. So they're really pretty thirsty. Now, if you saw an oasis, right? So, you, you know, bless the Lord. There's this oasis in the distance. Everyone wants to the water. And it's bitter. But you haven't drinking for three days. Right. What would you do? <laughs> right. It's sort of like, oh, this isn't my filtered water. Right. I'm not, right. I won't like, have tap. Oh, someone put too much leaven in the Perrier. You know what I mean? It's like, you haven't drunk for three days. Drink the water. Right. Right. Why are the people so finicky? It sounds like a strange thing. If you said the waters were, um, were poisonous. Okay. Sure. I get it. If you said that the waters were brackish and they were sewage, I mean, something, right? Undrinkable. But we don't usually think of bitterness as a deal killer. When it comes right. to water, as a matter of fact, one might even argue that nowadays a little bit of bitterness in water, you, you pay more for that, for the lime twist in your margarita. So what's right. the deal here? It just seems like a strange response that they can't drink the water because it's bitter. Sure. Uh, mm -hmm. Of all things. Anyway, so that's my question. Go ahead. What do you, what do you have to say? Yeah, I wouldn't have even thought of that. that. That's a really intriguing question. But even taking it at face value that like the water was undrinkable, to me, it's upsetting. Like, this story is upsetting. We just had Shiratayam. It was this epic climax, and I'm kind of upset at everybody, right? Upset at, <laughs> at God to some extent, right? Like, you just left Egypt. We're all on a high, and there's no water? Why wouldn't water be provided? Why do they go three days, these ex-slaves, been through plenty of trauma? Just give them some, some Poland Spring and, uh, you know, maybe test them in a, in a few weeks. <laughs> right. In other words, this is the high point, right, of, of God's relationship with the people. You can't think of a better uh, moment, right? The people have just sung this song. And remember, right before this, the text comes out, uh, comes out of the blue and says, and they believed in God and they believed in Moshe. So it's this wonderful Kumbaya moment. Everyone is singing. If you're God, you got to feel pretty good about the people now. And it's like, no surprise quiz. I'm to test you. <laughs> And what am I going to do? I'm going to lead you for three days of that water, only to find mm -hmm. that oasis. And if you just stop right there, if you're, uh, you know, Israelite Joe, and you're on your way, and you've gone for three days of that water, and you've been good, right? You haven't said anything, you haven't complained yet. You're you're like literally on the brink of of, of dying of thirst, but you, you you've maintained your faith, and there you see in the distance the palm trees, and you see the oasis. Uh, what are you thinking to yourself? You're thinking. Oh my goodness, right? The Lord is great. God is good. Um, you know, I was just for this moment. I, and I wasn't sure, but I placed myself in his hands and here he is. And then I get to the water and it's bitter, right? So what do you expect? Of course, I'm going to be upset, right? Like, and it, and this is a test. And then God has to come with his magic trick the, the, with the, with the stick and the water and the throw it in. It's just like, why why are you making life hard to me and what and now that you 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 threw the tree in so i learned something what did i learn it, so again it, it seems almost capricious of the almighty to bring him to a different oasis you were leading him through the desert bring him to one of the oasis that wasn't there why right. make it so hard what, yeah. what else is problematic I think I'm also kind of annoyed at the people or perhaps at even just the, the story. And this, I think, is the reason why it doesn't make it into the Ten Commandments. It doesn't make it into the Prince of Egypt is like, you made me read verse 20 and 21 before reading Mara. And it's just like really jarring. 
they they were just dancing and singing and 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 uh they had just experienced this epic moment we've all been waiting for uh at the end of the the exodus and then all of a sudden there's this mundane story about how there's no water or the water is bitter and then the people are complaining okay take a look at verse 26 okay verse 26 god says here im shamoa tishma lekol hashem alokecha if you follow in the voice of god and you do what is right in his eyes and you listen to all of his commands and you keep all of his chukim, his ordinances, then I will not place any of the sicknesses in which I placed on Egypt upon you, because I, God, am your healer. Verse 26 seems jarring, right? He sort of uses this opportunity almost for an ad hoc advertisement. Uh, for his laws, <laughs> which, by the way, we don't seem to have gotten yet, right? It's like, God said, by the way, do right, I that's mention my laws, right? right? If you follow my laws, uh, we don't really seem to get very many laws yet, then all the sickness that I placed on Egypt, I will not place upon you, because I am God, your healer. What a strange way to end the speech, right? I think there's at least three problems there. Anything bother you about that, Yimu? All the sickness... When I placed upon Egypt, I shall not place upon you, because I am God, your healer. Um, I mean, there are a few problems. One is I don't I don't remember any sicknesses in Egypt, unless it's referring to the, the plagues. Right. The plagues weren't really sicknesses. They were plagues. They were bad things that happened. If hail came down from the heavens, that's not a sickness that you placed upon Egypt. It's this problem that Egypt has to face. It wasn't, like, in the people. Now, you could argue the plague of boils might qualify as a sickness, but it seems to be the exception rather than the rule. And it doesn't seem like we hear about any fits of tuberculosis. Was it the last plague, the smiting of the firstborn? Just, like, hard to understand what, what's the sickness. You wouldn't have sort of phrased it that way. The opposite makes the question stronger, right? If, if darkness came and then darkness were, was removed, you wouldn't say, oh, what a great healer. The healer has come and relieved us. Yeah, of the... it, it, play that out, Emu, right? Imagine you went to your doctor, and uh, as you were leaving your doctor, your doctor said, by the way, um, you know, my social media presence is really important. Would you mind just rating me five stars? Because uh, that would be really helpful for me. So, you know, you say, sure, but, you know, you, you ask him, I'd be happy to, but, like, what do you want me to say in the comments? Like, this is a very quick visit. How am I supposed to say it was like such a wonderful thing? Like, what did you do that was so wonderful? And you feel like mean to even ask him that question. He says, Emu, let me show you something. And he takes you to another room. And he says, in this, and all the only thing in the room is just this one injection needle. Right? And he says, Emu, over here I have one small vial of smallpox that I keep here. Now, I could have injected you with this, but I didn't. Okay, that qualifies me as the greatest healer in New Jersey. <laughs> you wouldn't give that guy five stars, right? You, that doesn't make you qualify as a healer because you didn't inject them with something. So what you just on the face of it, what's God saying? I will not place the sicknesses of Egypt upon you. I am your great healer, right? It right. doesn't make you a great healer. I think it's especially bothersome if you consider the fact that the sages make this our prayer for healing also. It's sort of like, oh, this is like... I wish that we pulled the the prayer for healing from the time where, you know, Israel had a, a great plague upon them and God waved his magic wand and we were all healed. No, what you're saying is makes this really, really strong, which is that 
really the thing that we're praying to God for healing us for is for not putting plagues upon us? Not even healing us, but not putting plagues upon us? Mm-hmm. Yeah, I mean, I think these are some serious questions in the story. Anything else come to mind that, that bothers you here? You mentioned the law, the fact that, like, I would expect God would say, hey, please listen to my laws, maybe after Sinai, after we get laws. Here yep. there aren't very many. And, and it also even goes out of the way and, and sort of says there's this really strange phrase that's hard to understand in verse 25 here. 1525, right? God shows him this, this tree, cast it into the water, the water becomes sweet. Oh, that's a good right? point. What does that mean, that little throwaway phrase at the end of that? There God placed for him, seemingly him, would be Israel. Uh, laws, right? So the question is, what's the meaning of that? Now, you have commentators struggling with that because there doesn't sound like they got any laws here. So the Gemara says, well, they, maybe they heard about Shabbos here. Maybe they heard about Paraduma here. But in the Pshuta Shomikra, the face value of it, it's just strange because you hear that they're hearing about law, but they don't seem to be hearing about law. So mm-hmm. that's a strange thing also. right? And then also, what does all this in general have to do with law? It's not like uh, as I was talking about before, there, it's almost as if you wanted to paint God as capricious over here. You might say part of the capriciousness is using a, a crisis as an advertisement for your laws when your laws don't seem to have anything to do with this, right? It's, right. Uh, what does law have Right. If, if, if I were editing the story, I would have included the part where God explicitly says, you know, thou shalt keep my laws about not mixing wool and linen together, and then... The people go and they sewed themselves garments of wool and linen, and then there was a plague. Yeah, and God, you know, God healed them. He says, "This one's on me, and please keep my laws so that you don't get sick." Right? That would be a, a story that I could understand, but that's not. That doesn't happen here. Exactly. So you know, some really strange stuff going on. In this I think place. also just one more thing, um, which to me is just like on a literary level. What are we supposed to make of the fact that there's a tree and you throw it in the water and that somehow that, that solves everything, right? Right. In what? other words, if you think about it, there could have been any end to the story. If God wants to make a big show of his magical abilities, the alchemic transformations of bitter waters, he could have had three elephants circling in the air um, and a puff of orange smoke a la the Wizard of Oz, and then Glinda appears. And, you know, there could have been anything, <laughs> Right. Why the tree that you throw in the water and voila, you've got sweet water. One would expect that there's meaning to that. Right. But it doesn't seem clear what the meaning is. And this 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 may even be just a detail question, but I wouldn't have had the same question if if God said to Moshe, you know, tap the water with your stick and it will turn sweet. Right. Because that's that's the magic trick that, that Moshe uses for all the plagues, his staff and hits the water and whatever. And he hits the water later on. But this is a very weird one. It says, Vayoreu Hashem aids. God shows him uh, a, a tree. Vayoreu, also that word, is is a word that has the word Torah in it, is a word of apparently, right, he somehow has to teach him that there's a tree or show him or guide him to a tree. He mm-hmm. throws the tree in the water. And my, my brain, you know, kind of like has a hard time figuring out how to visualize that. There was, a, was it a stick? Did he throw a tree in yeah, the water? Yeah, it almost feels like he uprooted this tree. It's like he... He tore this tree out by its roots, and then right. you've got right that would be the image, and then you've got this tree dangling with its roots that's getting hurled into the water. Also, the word vayashleif is a very strong word. 
right? The Vayashlech mm-hmm. really means to cast away, to hurl. It doesn't mm-hmm. doesn't mean to, uh, to to place in the water, right? The word place, by the way, shows up here in this very verse, right? Sham sum lo chokumishvat. There God placed for him laws. It wasn't like Moshe gently placed a tree in the water. He hurled a tree in the water. Mm-hmm. Um, so what do we make of all of that? This may also be a detailed question, but what's strange about that verse that we're reading is that if I were ending the verse, I'd end it, um, you know, he throws the, the tree in the water, it gets sweeter. Next verse is sort of like an epilogue. That was the place where he gave them chok and mishpat, he gave them these laws, and there he tested them. But it's all in the same verse, right? It's sort mm-hmm. of like tree goes in the water, water gets sweet. Seemingly everything is resolved, but no, in that very same verse, right? There's law, and I would wonder maybe somehow the that end of the end of the verse has to relate to the beginning. Somehow the law has to do with throwing the the tree in the water, and I'd be curious to know how. Yes, it sounds like if I read you correctly, that the fact that all of this is in one verse sounds like there's something about laws which can't be distinguished from the teaching him about this tree. And to that end, the point you made earlier about Vayorehu being an interesting word, that God showed him the tree, but Vayorehu also has this connotation of to teach, right? That mm-hmm. the same word as Torah, right? So um, is there something mysterious going on there about the, some sort of symbolism of the tree? And Torah just it raises a lot of interesting eyebrows, shall we say. Cool. You, you've successfully confused me enough about the story that I feel that I have no clue what happened here. That's right. Okay, good. So l- let's move now to a second stage, okay? Um, and I think, by the way, for all you guys back at home, this is a helpful hint kind of when reading a biblical story and trying to make sense of it in a deeper kind of way. There's sort of two passes you can make over a story. The first pass is what we've just done, which is sort of brainstorming questions. And for that, it's just easy to kind of let your mind go and just say, I've never heard this story before. What's strange about it? Put yourself in the shoes of various people. Put yourself in the shoes of the people. Put yourself in the shoes of Moshe. What seems strange about the story? But a second pass that's often helpful to do is where you say, okay, that's it for the questions. What about observations? Right? Observations are different than questions. Observations are little oddities along the way, sometimes textual, right? The stuff going on, it's not so much a question as something that you should notice in the story that seems like it should at least raise an eyebrow. Let me show you an observation that I think is uh, kind of interesting. There was a reason I had you start from Exodus 15, verse 20, and not two verses later at the beginning of the story. And the reason is, is because there's stuff that happens at the end of the story of the sea that seems to foreshadow this very next story of Mara, right? Like, mm-hmm. as we talked about, the story of the, the crossing of the sea seems like a very different story. It's triumphant, it's climactic, it's this Charles and Heston moment, and then the story of the bitter waters is like this other thing. But if you look at it from a textual angle, there are these mm-hmm. interesting links between these two stories. And one of the great links of course, is is language that appears at the story of the sea, which reappears in the story of Mara. So, Mm. emu number one. Uh, The reason they can't drink the waters is because the waters are bitter, but how do you say bitter in Hebrew? 
just so happens, mem reshiud mem is the word for bitter. Now, if you vowelize that differently, Maryam doesn't spell Maryam, it spells Miriam. Mm, right, Miriam. that's her name is Mar, yeah, Maryam. Her name is Bitter Waters. Wow. Right. So here you've got this woman whose name Miriam. And, and, and what's strange about this is not only is there this unmistakable echo that Miriam becomes Maryam, it's a strange echo because if you had to talk about the tone of Miriam's song, you would say it's the most joyous, happy moment the least bitter moment that you could possibly imagine is this joyful song. And yet, two verses later, three verses later, they get to these waters that are described as bitter. It's almost like this this transmutation of Miriam's name into its very opposite, into this, this terrible bitterness uh, which the people are experiencing. Now, that doesn't seem coincidental, but what heightens this lack mm. of coincidence as you said that, I realized I'm just reading the, the verse. You said, you know, Miriam Bitterwaters, and, and you said that basically it's sort of the opposite, right? Here, here's this woman who's named Bitterwaters, and she's rejoicing. And I'm reading the end of the that verse, verse 20, and she is taking the, the women with dancing, but to pim uv micholot, timbrels mm-hmm. and, and dances. But that word micholot, it means dances, but it, it also ends up being uh, sickness, right? Machala. It's the same letters, mem, chet, exactly lamed, and, lamed it, and it means the opposite, right? At the end of this story, it's sickness, and in the beginning of this story, it means dance. Yes. So isn't that fascinating? So here in the space of a single verse, verse 20, right, the story of Miriam's exultant song, you have two words, Miriam and Mecholod, which are going to reappear in the very next story in an opposite way. Miriam mm. is going to become Marim, bitter, and the dances of Mecholot are going to become the Kol HaMachala Asher Santim all of the sickness that I placed upon Egypt, I will not place upon you. So something is strange, something is afoot mm. in the story. There's this just incredible whiplash transformation of these two words, and this can't be coincidental. But one of the things it does, I think, is reinforce what we kind of left off in our first podcast with, which is this notion that the sages in Ripa'enu, remember, in the same space that they are referring to Toshienu v'nivashea, the right. story of the splitting of the sea, in that same phrase they're referring to the story of Mara, Ripa'enu, with God being our healer. And we said it's strange that the sages would put these two stories together. It's true they're chronologically connected, but they seem so incredibly separate. But what mm. we see is that in the text itself, they're not so separate. The sages Somehow. were coming from somewhere, right? They saw something happening in this text that made them convinced these aren't two stories, the story of Miriam at the sea and the story of the bitter waters. They're the same mm. story. Mm-hmm. There's something else uh, at the end of verse 21. Is, is it connected also? The fact that uh, the actual song they sing is... Um, the fact that the the uh, horse and chariot were were cast into the sea, but that word Rama also reminds me of Mara, the, the place that they, they end up. Yeah, isn't that fascinating? Isn't it interesting that the one verse that Miriam chooses to quote, because she could have quoted any verse, the one verse that she chooses to quote from the Song of the Sea just happens to include a word that has the very same letters as the place which they're about to visit. Mara, Mara, Mem, Reish, He, Rama, 
Resh Memhe. So there's three transpositions. The transposition of Miriam, the joyful singer, into Marim, the bitter waters. The transformation of Mecholot, the joyful dances, into Mahala, the sicknesses of Egypt. And the literary transformation of Ramabayam, right, the casting, the hurling of these, of the forces of Egypt into the, into the sea, right, becomes Mara, this bitterness. By the way, the hurling, right? What does hurling remind yeah, you of? Yeah, it, it recounts the hurling of the tree into the water. Yes. Two things are hurled into the water. In the first story, you have Susverachmo, uh, a charioteer, and the horse, and then you have uh, a tree that's thrown into the water. Exactly. And by the way, there are a few different synonyms for the hurling of the forces of Egypt into the sea. One of them is Susverachmo Ramabayam, right? Bayorehu. Oh, that is interesting, isn't it? <laughs> yeah, take a look at verse 4. Exodus 15, verse 4. Imu points out, Again, another word for hurl. The Pharaoh's chariots and his army, he's cast into sea, hurled into the sea. Now, Yara is is phonetically similar to Rama. It's got three out, two out of three of the letters, but it's not actually the same uh, Shoresh. It's not actually the same root, but it seems like it's the same root as Vayorehu, or at least it's a play off of, right? So later on when God says Vayorehu Hashem Eitz Vayashlech Alamayim, it might be that Vayorehu Hashem Eitz, God showing him the tree, is a play off of 15.4, back at the splitting of the sea, Markovat Parvachelo Yara Vayam. It's almost like there's these two elements of casting that tree in the water that both hark back to the Song of the Sea, right? The hurling uh, of Moshe recalls the Ramabayam, and the Vayoreyu Hashem Eitz textually recalls the Markovat Parvachelo Yara Vayam. So the question is, what is it about the hurling of the tree that recalls the hurling of these chariots into the waters? A lot mm-hmm. of mysteries, but it seems that these are, things are deeply connected. Okay, so Imu, maybe if we can, to kind of tie up uh, our sort of questions and observations into a bow. And I'd like to suggest the beginnings of an answer, kind of a keystone clue, which might help all of these strange and disparate things fall into place. And it's perhaps the most puzzling thing about the story of Mara, although it is the most subtle thing. Frankly, to be perfectly honest, uh, somebody in a class I was teaching noticed this, and it struck me as like, Oh my gosh, I can't even believe that. Here are the people that they get to Mara, chapter 15, verse 23. Now, as we read it, uh, you know, you read it this way, I read it this way, everyone reads the verse this way. By Yabo Marata, they came to Mara, and they couldn't drink waters from Mara because the waters were bitter. Al came crush Mara. That's why they called it bitter. Hmm. That's the way we translate it, right? And that's the way, even if you look at JPS 1917 over here in Savaria, that's the way they translate it. They came to Mara, they couldn't drink the water of Mara because it was bitter. It was bitter clearly means the water of Mara was bitter. But if you look at the Hebrew, it's not actually so clear that that's what was bitter. There's a there's an incredible ambiguity here. They came to Mara, they couldn't drink the waters of Mara. The first thing to notice is that haim is plural, it's not singular. So in the mm. English, it's not it, which is a singular thing, it's plural, right? Now you could say 
that the waters are plural, because technically, technically in Hebrew, the word mayim is plural. But it doesn't have to mean that. As a matter of fact, there's an incredible ambiguity. Let's actually read the verse literally and sense the ambiguity. Vayavo marata, and they came to mara. Velo mara, and they couldn't drink water from mara. Kimarim because they were bitter. Al crush mara, because that's why they called it mara. And now the question is, why couldn't they drink the water? Because they were bitter. The question is, who's they? Mm-hmm. Is it the waters, plural, were bitter, but there's another they? The they the people. might just be the people. And if you read the verse carefully, it sounds actually on a second reading like it probably was the people. Because look at how they gets used earlier in the verse. Vayavo. Vayavo is really a contraction of two words in Hebrew. Hembau. Right? And they mm-hmm. came to Mara. Mm-hmm. The lo yachlu is really a contraction of two words in Hebrew. Heim lo yachlu lishtadmaim. They couldn't drink the water. What is they referring to all the times? The people. The people. And now let's get to the third they. They couldn't drink, the, they came to Mara. They couldn't drink the water. Ki marim heim. Because they were bitter. Who's they? Right? It sounds like it's the people. But it's unclear. That would change everything about the story. If the people were the ones who were bitter, right? Maybe the waters themselves weren't bitter. The people were bitter and somehow their bitterness didn't allow them to drink the water. I'm not even sure what that would mean, but that changes everything. It does change everything. For example, the question we had about God being capricious. If this were true, God isn't capricious. He didn't lead them to bitter waters. Mm -hmm. He led them to waters that were perfectly fine. The problem Mm -hmm. wasn't with the water. The problem was with them. Mm-hmm. Notice, by the way, how ambiguous it is. It sounds like the text is trying to make it ambiguous. Now, mm. what's the meaning of that purposeful ambiguity? I think there's a couple things there. One is, it's unclear to the reader what it means, and maybe it's unclear to the subject in the story what it means. Mm. In other words, you and I don't know what's bitter and what's not bitter. Could it be the waters? Maybe. Could it be the people? Maybe. It's almost like there is no right answer. You can't prove it one way or the other. Similarly, if you're the people, you don't know why you can't drink the water, which might be the reason why they called the place Mara, because what are the people thinking? Mm -hmm. That the water is bitter when they're bitter, but they don't know that. They don't know that, right? If there's something wrong with me, but I'm not aware that there's something wrong with me, and all of a sudden I can't drink the water, what does my mind tell me is going on? The water is bitter. There's something wrong with the water, which would explain another thing. You said it changes everything. It changes why they couldn't drink the water, right? It wasn't like there was a little bit too much lime in the Perrier, right? There was something wrong with them. That's why they couldn't drink it. It's like they weren't willing to drink the water. They weren't willing to drink the water. One of the great questions of the story is, why is God your healer? It's not just that, well, I didn't inject you with smallpox. It's that the people could say to themselves, one second, we got to this water. The water was problematic. There wasn't a problem with me. The water was problematic. The the water was bitter. So don't come and advertise yourself as the great healer. You didn't heal me. You might have fixed the waters when you threw that tree in the waters, but you didn't fix me. But we're now in a position to say that, one second, maybe that's not really true. Maybe there was a problem with them. They were bitter. Maybe that was their sickness. And when God says, I am the God who heals you, it is that 
that God is healing them from, from their bitterness that they didn't even understand that they were projecting on the water. If something is wrong with them, then that helps us understand how God could possibly be a healer, because somehow God healed them. Yes. So now the question is, how does this notion, which seems like there's something going on with this, why is there this ambiguity around what's going on? Is it the waters that are bitter? Is it them that's bitter? If God really means it's them that's bitter, just tell me they were bitter. It's a strange thing. And also, what were they so bitter about? They they just experienced the, the best thing in the world. Their enemies were destroyed. It was so great. It was a great kumbaya moment. It's the fade to black. It's the, the end of the Prince of Egypt. Everything is, it can't be more wonderful than this. What's everyone so sour about? Why? Right. <laughs> Like, why would they be, why would they be so bitter? And, 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 but, and yet, if this is what's going on, it seems to me that these are the great mysteries that we need to, to plow through going forward. Why were they so bitter? Where did this bitterness come from? How did God heal them with the tree? And, and why is there this ambiguity? Is the water bitter? Is there bitter? Somehow that's bound up in this question of how this story is connected to the last story, the story of the splitting of the sea. Somehow the splitting of the sea should give us the clue to help to understand it. It's all one story we've seen. And if we can figure that out, we might have an answer as to why suddenly the joy of Miriam becomes transmuted into the, the bitterness of Marin. The joy of the Mahalot becomes transmuted into the bitterness of these memories of Egypt's sickness. And I think, Emu, when we get together next, that's what we got to look at. What's this bitterness all about? Amazing. I'm eager and excited. I feel that much closer to solving the mystery of Rifainu, and yet I am on pins and needles here. Okay, Emu, that sounds great. Uh, I look forward to getting to you next time and continuing this the exploration of this marvelous and difficult story. Great. Hi, this is Rifki, editor for this series. Before you run off, check out AlephBeta.org for more engaging, inspiring Torah. Normally, Aleph Beta is a paid site, but in these difficult times, we're making our material available for free for those who need them. So enjoy, on us. That said, if you do have the means, and if you believe in what we're doing, it would mean the world to have your support through this time. Please consider becoming a paid member, or joining our producer circle. Of course, if that isn't something you can do right now, don't think twice about it. The most important thing is for all of us to stay connected and keep our community strong.